Welcome to Victory Church Podcast. At Victory, we are committed to connecting people to God, His church and their purpose. For more information, visit victorychurch.net.au. Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. Well, we're going to continue and finish today our series that I started four weeks ago. Well, actually it was five because we had a break in between with our Vision Sunday. But uh, there is a four-part series that we've entitled First Love. And uh, I want to conclude it today. In week number one, we looked at the law of the and and the order. When Jesus Christ was in the desert, he was tempted by the devil. And Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, you are to worship the Lord your God first. And out of that worship comes service. It's not worship or service. It's always worship and service. But we need to make sure the first things are first. And it's always worship first. Service flows out of worship. Worship doesn't flow out of service. And so we looked at that in week one. And I just want to say this, that all of our messages are available to download free of charge on our website and on our uh, iTunes account. So please, please, please grab a hold of that. Listen to these messages again and again and again. And more importantly, let your friends know of these messages. You know, most people before they come to church will check us out on the website. And what better way to check us out than listen to what we've been sharing in any given season. So that was week number one. Week number two, we talked about more than believing. The Bible says that uh, believing in God is not enough. If it were, the devil himself would be a Christian because he believes in God, but he trembles, he shudders, he's, he's afraid of that which he believes. It's not enough just to believe. Week number two was all about taking our believing into knowing. Paul says, my prayer for the church is that you would not just believe in God, but that you would know him and that you would know him better, that you would know him more. That was week number two. Week number three, which was last week, we looked at endless love and we looked at the difference between Peter and Judas and we realised that there was a lot of similarities. In actual fact, there was a lot of similarities between Peter and Judas. The main difference between Peter and Judas was not in what they did, but it was how they responded to what they did. And as a result, Judas went and hung himself, but Peter went on to take ground for the kingdom of God and finished up a hero of the faith. And uh, we looked at the fact that we are not our mistakes. We all make mistakes. Every one of us in this room has made mistakes. We've made little mistakes. We've made major mistakes. We've made mistakes on purpose and we've made mistakes accidentally. All of us, the Bible says, have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. What is God's glory? It's pure perfection. It's sinless perfection. All of us fall short of that. And so we're all in the same camp as Peter and Jesus. We've all made mistakes. The good news is we are not our mistakes. And with good decisions, we can move forward and turn our mess into a message. Amen. And our test into a testimony. That's what we have the chance of doing in our day and in our generation, just as Peter did. Which brings me to week number four. And the title of my message is simply this. Love is what love does. Love is what love does. How do you know when somebody likes chocolate? How, how do you know? 
Their fridge is usually stacked with chocolate. They talk about chocolate. They consume chocolate. Even in the middle of the night when they're feeling hungry, they walk downstairs and they just take some. You don't have to twist their arm. You don't have to make them eat chocolate. It's just something they want to do. Why? Because they love chocolate. Mmm, chocolate. Or what about if you love donuts? Same thing applies. In actual fact, I've done fairly well throughout this 21 days. But if I'm honest and had to say to you, what is the one thing that I've craved more than anything else? It would be donuts. But more specifically, a baker's delight apple and custard scroll with sultanas. That's, that, you know, I'll be honest with you, while I've been saying, God, speak to me through dreams, I've had more dreams about apple and custard scrolls than any heavenly visions. I'm just being honest with you. Some days I wake up and I'm swimming in an apple and custard scroll. Other times I'm bouncing up and down like a trampoline on an apple and custard scroll. So pray for me. I, I do. I'm not, I'm not a massive junk food person, but I'm telling you the one thing that I've wanted more than anything else is an apple and custard scroll with sultanas. I can always taste the thing now. It's just like, who, who can tell just by my response that I like apple and custard scrolls? Pavlova, you can have. All those other goodies you can have, but apple and custard scroll, I mean, come on. And don't give me just a little dobble of icing on top. I want, I want the whole thing covered, running down the sides. I mean, come on. Another question, how do you know when someone likes cars? They're broke. They're They're not here today, they're down the Clipsal. They always talk about cars, they have a passion for cars. How do you know when someone likes gardening? Just trying to include everyone here. They have an immaculate garden, they have all the fancy tools. They know the difference between a fern and a succulent, and I don't, but they do. Then they, they talk about it all the time. And you meet them in the cafe, and they say, oh, my God, no, it's going so well. And they, I'll sit there with a smile on my face. How do you know when someone loves football? How do you know? I'll tell you how you know. Because whenever I talk, they stand up in the middle of while I'm preaching and make a scene like that. There we go. Only a certain type of football supporter, not a, not a, a decent crow supporter, just the feral Port Adelaide ones. <laughs> my point is this. Here's my point. That love is seen through a corresponding action. Love is seen through a corresponding action. In John chapter 3, verse 16, which is probably one of the most famous portions of Scripture in the world, it says, God so loved the world. How do we know that God so loved the world? Because there is a corresponding action. The Bible goes on to say that God not only loved the world, but He showed this great love for the world through the giving of His Son. So that whoever believes in Him would not perish, but have eternal life. How do I know that God loves me? Because there was an action corresponding the words. 
God in His love for us was motivated and mobilised to do something on behalf of humanity because He loved us that much. And He didn't wait for us to get our lives together. He didn't wait for us to be on a hunt for Him. No, He initiated this love affair. He left the splendour of heaven. He came down to planet Earth. He was nursed as a babe in a manger, which means He was subject to man's humanity, which means He would have been dropped. He would have had his head bumped as a baby. I mean, come on, come on, I'm not going to report you, but how many of you as parents have kind of dropped the baby or have been walking through a doorway half asleep and banged the head of a child? Come on, is it can't just be me, please. Come on, is there any parent out there who's brave enough and willing enough? And please tell me there are other mums out there that have grabbed their niece and said, oh, go, 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 and smashed their head on a light bulb. Has any other mum out there or any other auntie done that? If some of you wonder what Ashari Rainbow's problem is, it's because of that. When she was a baby, she was just crying and crying. And so Cass trying to settle her and her head hit the lamp, the shade, the light fitting. And the whole thing shattered. She was covered in glass. Cass was covered in glass. I may or may not have been laughing. I can't remember. But Jesus subject Himself to that. God the Father allowed Himself and placed Himself in the hands of humanity. And the Bible says that this babe grew in favour with God, in favour with man, in stature and in wisdom. And He profounded the religious hierarchy. But they got so jealous, they mistreated Him, they abused Him, they lied about Him. And what happened? He was beaten, battered, bruised, betrayed. He went to a cross, died a horrific death. He was crucified, all of which was part of the plan. Why? Because He loves us. Jesus entrusted Himself into the hands of the Father and on the third day He rose again. Why? Because He loves us. Know this, Jesus did not have to do any of that for Himself. He was already in the splendour of heaven. He was already in the sinless place. He did it because He loved us. Love does incredible things. Love goes to great lengths. Love does some crazy things. Have you ever noticed that? When you're in love with someone, you do some crazy things. Things you never thought you would ever do. I know mums that would never get up in the middle of the night, but the moment they have a child and they hear the smallest whimper of a child that they've just brought into this world, they're instantly up on their feet and tending to that baby's need. Why? Because they don't want to sleep? No, half of them are walking zombies, they're so tired, but they continue to do it again and again and again. Why? Because love does that. Love does the irrational. Love does the immeasurable. Love does the unreasonable. Love is crazy. And we see that with God. I know my God loves me because He left the splendour of heaven to come down and die for me. And I didn't ask for it. The Bible says while we were still sinners, while we were doing our own thing, while we were whinging, while we were complaining, while we were swearing, while we were drinking, while we were getting stoned, while we were doing all those things, Jesus said, I love you and I'm coming anyway. I'm not asking for permission. I'm just coming anyway. Love is what love does. And I want to be honest with you, I'm really enjoying this season. A season of getting back to basics, spending time uh, in His Word, spending time worshipping Him. 
But I want to capitalise upon this time. I don't want this time to just be a time where we just connected with God and have a wonderful time and, and just you know, camped around a campfire and sing Kumbaya and to hell with the world. That, that's not it. That's not where we stop. We've had a lot of those moments in the last 21 days and throughout this whole series. We've had some incredible Kumbaya moments and I thank God for them. But there's a comma. This love that we have for Jesus has to be activated. It should force us to action. Imagine if God said, oh, I love those people. They're so wonderful. They are near and dear to my heart. Oh, come on, angel, let's sing. No, no, no. He did something about it. And I trust that at the end and the conclusion of this first love series, it will motivate us to love God more. But out of loving God more, it would motivate us to do something with that. Amen. So having said that, last week we looked at Peter and Judas. What I want to do this morning is look at a conversation that Jesus had with Peter. It's found in John chapter 21. We're on the 21st day of our fast. And if you've been doing the devotional, you would have read John 21 this morning. So it's just an incredible conclusion to this series and to this fast that we are on. And so John 21 verse 15 to 23. It says this, when they had finished eating, this is straight off the back of Jesus looking at the disciples, struggling to fish, the very thing that they were good at, but they weren't catching any fish. Jesus says, uh, put it on the right side of the boat. In other words, you had it on the wrong side. So he says, put it on the right side. They put it on the right hand side of the boat. They catch 153 large fish, but God's grace and protection is such that the nets weren't even breaking. And he says, bring some of your fish and we're going to cook it. and We're going to have a meal together, which is awesome. This is where this is taking place. When they'd finished eating, Jesus says to Simon Peter, this is the one who denied him three times. He said, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter, you've got to love Peter. Peter was hurt because Jesus had asked him a third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, then feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and you went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Peter, feeling the pressure now, turns and saw one of the disciples whom Jesus loved and following, uh, followed, following them. This is the one who leaned against Jesus at the supper and said, Lord, who is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. Because of this, a rumour among, spread among the believers that this disciple would not die. But Jesus did not say that he would not die. He only said, if I want him to remain alive until I return, that is what I'll do. Awesome. I want to look at a few things this morning that love does based upon this account. 
For the sake of time, I've got it down to three. There are many things. What I love about the Word of God, you can never exhaust the Word of God. Go home, look for some extra things yourself. But here's three things that we see love does. And more importantly, what we expect Jesus, or what Jesus expects us to do with our love. And the first one is this. Love continues to grow no matter how long you're on the journey. Love continues to grow no matter how long you are on the journey. Jesus asked Peter this question, do you love me? And before I go any further, can I just say this? Here we see Jesus again putting the and and the order in practice. Before He asks Peter to do anything, before He asks him to get involved in anything, serving on a roster, coming a little bit earlier, before He asks him to do anything, He says, do you love me? It's always love and service, but it's love first. And He wants to establish, before He gets him involved in doing anything, do you love me? That's the first little point. But then He goes on to say, do you love me more than these? There are three possible meanings to what that could mean all of which I think are valid. Some of the experts don't quite agree, but all three are valid nonetheless. In saying, do you love me more than these? It could mean, do you love me more than these other disciples? In other words, do you love me more than your mates? Do you love me more than your wife? Do you love me more than your kids? Do you love me more than any other person in your world? This is the question Jesus put onto Peter. And remember, when Jesus speaks to Peter, ultimately he's speaking to us. Do you love me more than these? Maybe he was pointing to the boat, the nets and the fish and saying, do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than your profession? Do you love me more than what you do? Do you love me more than your job? Do you love me more than your hobbies? Do you love me more than your sports? Do you love me more than all the things that you're going to get involved in in this life? None of which are bad, but if they become your priority then they get out of whack and it becomes wrong. Do you love me more than these, Peter? Or he may have been saying, do you love me more than John loves me? Do you love me more than all of these? Do you love me more than Thomas loves me? Is your love greater? This is the one the theologians tend to think Jesus was saying, but at the end of the day, all three are valid for us. Do we love him more? Do you love me more? See, I believe the question was not so much, do you love me? Because we know that Peter loved Jesus. But I think the deeper question, the greater question that Jesus was asking Peter was this, how much do you love me? How deep is your love for me, Peter? I know you love me, but then again, many of people like ice cream and chocolate and sport. We love lots of things. And Jesus wants to know, how deep is this love? Do you love me like ice cream? Do you love me like football? Do you love me like your mates? Do you love me like your job? Or do you love me deeper? Do you love me deeper? How deep is your love? See, the bigger the call, the deeper our love needs to be. Peter had a big call on his life, and so the love needed to be deep. Let me explain it this way. In every relationship, we have responsibilities. Would that be fair to say? When you're young and single, the only responsibility you have maybe, if you have good parents, that is to um, look after your room, keep a neat and tidy room. That's your only responsibility. But as your relationships grow and you, and you find a young lady that you like, or if you're a young lady, maybe a young man that you like, now, that, now your world's got bigger and you have greater responsibilities because you're no longer just thinking about yourself and your room that you've got to keep tidy. Now, now you've got to fit time to see this person that you really love. 
And so the responsibilities increase. And, and then when, when you uh, add a job to that, there's another responsibility. It's no longer just homework. You've actually got to earn some money now. And then you might get married and there's a responsibility in arranging the wedding. And then there's a responsibility of getting a home. There's a responsibility of, of a mortgage and, and cars and petrol. The responsibilities get more and more and more as our relationships grow and grow and grow. Then you add kids to it. And then you get a little dog or a cat, whatever the case may be. And they're all extra responsibilities. And it's in these responsibilities that we can lose our love or connection with one another. And so Peter's saying, I don't want you to be so busy because you're going to get really busy, mate. I know your future. I've seen your future. You're the man on whom the church is going to be built. I know you're going to get busy, but I need to know that you've got a deep enough love to match the depth of your responsibilities that are coming your way. No one I know who ever got married walked down the aisle with the intention of separating from their wife or husband. Nobody. So why does it happen to 50% of all marriages? I think I'm onto something when I say the responsibilities get so great, but our love does not increase. And so as a result, we fall out of love and it ends in separation and divorce. And it was never intended. And we just allowed the bigness of all the responsibilities to get in the way of our love. And I'm a firm believer that as our life grows, we've got to grow in our relationships. We've got to grow in our love to one another. I thank God after 21 years, I'm more in love with this church than when we first started. I thank God after 23 years of marriage, I'm more in love with my wife than when we first started. But I'm a busier person today. And the only way I can combat the busyness is make sure that my love is big enough to accommodate the fullness of my life. And, and so love is what love does and love makes a commitment to ongoing growth and depth. And that's what this fast has been all about. In actual fact, that's been the greatest testimony on this fast is that I've got closer to Jesus. How many would be able to say, along with myself, that I've got closer to Jesus during this time of abstaining from certain things in my world? Amen? Is that true of you as it is for me? See, when I started this fast, I loved Jesus. I did. But I can honestly tell you, 21 days later, I feel closer to Jesus. I feel more in love with Him. There are nuances to, to His character uh, that I never saw before. There's things in the Scripture I've read over and over again, but, but I never saw certain things in Scripture. We saw as Jess was sharing. Many of us have read that story, but Jess is bringing out something that she'd never seen before. That was the purpose of this fast, that we might live at a heightened awareness, a heightened level in our understanding of who Jesus is. I know many of the young ones didn't abstain from food, but they abstained from television and social media. And during that extra time, and by extra time, I mean thousands of hours that they had over the last 21 days, some people started to take up an instrument. Some people are learning an instrument as a result of fasting from television. I think that's pretty cool. Others are, are, are reading their Bibles instead of watching television and they're journaling instead of just forgetting about what they've read. And I thank God for that. That's what we wanted to happen. But what I don't want to happen is that we just go back to normal once we break out the donuts and the cakes and the lollies, but that we live at a new level. Now, I know it's not possible to just live at a sustained level and I know there will still be ups and downs. But I believe there are moments in our life when we go to another level and there's still ups and downs, but it's ups and downs at another level. 
And, and I, I trust, I, I'm really believing that this season is like a, a line in the sand. It's like a watershed moment. Then we can say, man, that 21-day fast at the beginning of 2015 changed my life. That's, that's what I'm believing for. Because God not only wants to reveal things about himself, but get this, he wants to reveal things about you. I can be careful how I say this because of confidentiality, but I had a, a man come up to me based upon something I had said during a, a training that we were doing midweek. And they said, when you talked about that particular subject, it brought up all sorts of feelings from my past because you know, I fall into that category. And I could see that some of the doubt and the confusion on this person's face. And I said, can I just uh, bring some perspective to what that is? That's nothing more than a promotion. I said, what? I said, God is promoting you. In other words, he's revealing something about your life that he couldn't touch a year ago because it was too tender, it was too this, it was too that. But God has deemed you uh, close enough to him, mature enough now to be able to handle that particular situation and speak to you about something that he addressed years ago, but speak to you about it at a different level. And so God is not only revealing to us things about himself, but he's revealing things to us about us. And I want us to stay open to that and not just run away from it. Because here's the great thing. Whatever God reveals is because he wants to heal. What he reveals, he heals. And any of us who are parents know this to be true. There are some things in our kids' life we just leave for the next day. They're too tender, we leave it for the next day. It's not that we forgot about it. We just realized that they weren't in a place to talk about it. They weren't in a place to receive it. They weren't in a place to be able to uh, manage it or process it. And so we're going to leave it for the next day. And I believe God is doing that in some of us. And so if, if there are things that jump into your mind, things from the past, just be open to the fact that God is healing you at a whole nother level. See, when you look at one and 11 and 21 and 31. Essentially, it's the same number. It's one, but just at a different level. And, and so it's possible that God can deal with something in your life here and you track along and you're on a different level, but he's bringing it up again. And, and, and he's bringing it up again. For example, when I was a kid, I mean really, really young, I was afraid of the dark. Anyone out there, when you were young, you were afraid of the dark? And so I had to have the door open and all those sorts of things, a little bit of a light coming in the room. I was afraid of the dark. Uh, I can say now, as a 46-year-old man, I'm not afraid of the dark. Woohoo! <laughs> but to say I'm not afraid of anything would be wrong. Yeah. And so when I went to school, um, I hated school. I was afraid of school. So I was now no longer afraid of uh, the dark, but I was afraid of school. So it's, I'm dealing with the same issue in my life, but at another level. And then I got used to school. I met Mrs. Caney. I fell in love with her. She made school okay again. And so I'm tracking along. Life's good. And then they asked me to do a morning talk. Then I realized that, that fear, the same fear, the same feeling, the same emotion that I had when I was a boy with the dark or when I first went to school was there again. But not because of school and not because of the dark, but because of public speaking. Yeah. It's fear, but it's fear at another level. So now I'm being promoted. Can you see the promotion each time? Because it's something bigger, it's something better, it's something deeper in my life. So don't run away when you feel like there's something that's, being that's something that's pressing on your life. Hold your line. It's God revealing something about you that he wants to take away because you're now ready to do it. Amen? Awesome.
Number two, love does the job no matter what the task. So we're growing in our love and as we grow in our love, now we're ready to do something. Jesus says to Peter, if you love me and we've established that you do, then I want you to do something for me. Can I say every one of you in this room that has received the love of God and says, knows categorically, absolutely that Jesus loves you. And you can say back, I love Jesus. I want you to know Jesus is saying to you, like he's saying to Peter, that I want you to do something. This is New Testament Christianity. This is, this is friendship at another level and it's called discipleship. This is, where, this is where Jesus now wants Peter to do something for him. And he says, I want you to feed my lambs. I want you to care for and feed my sheep. In other words, the, the young lambs, the young immature ones, the first time visitors, I want you to look after them. And those who have been around for many, many years, I want you to care for them and I want you to feed them. I, I, it's your responsibility. I want you to do something for me. Don't just tell me you love me. Stop singing your songs. I, I don't want, I, you know, following me is not all about singing songs and lifting hands to heaven and having a great time down the altar here as you fall down, roll around, get up, fall down, roll around, get up. No, no, that's all great. But there's got to come a time where you get out of the four walls of the church and you do something for Him. And that's what He's saying here. Because love is what love does. Love does the job no matter what the task. And essentially what he's saying is, I want you to care for people. See, in Jesus saying, do you love me? Then do this for me. is not control. It's not manipulation. And it's not hype. It's not arm twisting stuff. As many people put on the church when you ask them to do anything. See, Jesus loves you as you are. He'll receive you as you are. He'll receive you warts and all, drugs and all, messed up lives and all. But as any good parent, He wants you to grow. He doesn't want you to stay as you are. He's happy for you to come selfish. He's happy for you to come miserable. But ultimately, that should change out of our love relationship with Him. In other words, Jesus is saying, I want you to demonstrate your love for me by caring for God's people. And that's why for me, there's no room in my theology nor understanding that you can be a Christian and not go to church. Because the demonstration of our love of Christ is seen in the attending of a local church where we receive connection, where we receive belonging, where we receive a greater understanding of, of, of who He is, where we grow in our belief system, where we grow also in our behavioural patterns. It's all part of church where there is some accountability put on us in order to bring some of those changes where we can demonstrate our love of helping people. And so Peter, Jesus is very clear here about what he expects from Peter and his church. In other words, you can't separate love and deeds. In John 15 verse, uh, 14 verse 15, it says, If you love me, these are the very words of Jesus, you will obey what I command. See, some of us at the beginning of this past said, yeah, let's get back to the Bible, back to basics. I like that. Well, this is getting back to the Bible. This is getting back to the basics. This is getting back to what Jesus said. In actual fact, we're starting a new series next week called, He Said What? <laughs> Looking at the crazy things Jesus said. Because Jesus said some crazy things. Jesus said some outrageous things. And we want to get back to what Jesus said. And He said, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. Love will do the task no matter what the job. And I thank God for this incredible volunteer base who are here early, 
who have been here since 7. This music that we get to enjoy is because there's a team who get here from between 7 and 7.30 to set up and practice and rehearse to make sure that we can have an incredible gathering, an incredible time together and worship the Lord together. There are others who are out there just vacuuming and, and, and uh, sweeping the, the car park, making sure it's ready for us. There are others who are looking after our kids right now as we're sitting here enjoying the Word of God, enjoying one another's company. People are looking after our kids. I thank God for that. And I want to see more and more people. I, I, I'm believing that through this season, every person that calls victory home and every person who says, I love Jesus, will be able to demonstrate it in getting involved in this local church and helping out. And you may think this is a large church and all the roles are being catered for. Can I just say this? Even if that is true, and it's not, but even if it was, there are still some people who are doing those roles that need a rest. And by you putting your hand up, you'll give the rest. That's caring for that's feeding and that's loving God's people, the very challenge that Jesus put on Peter, the very challenge that I'm putting on us together today. Amen. And this is not new. This is what we saw the early church birthed in, that they were generous, that they were sacrificial. The Bible says that we've been saved and called. In other words, we've been called to do something for Him. And it's our greatest joy to work with you, to get to know you, to find your God shape and help you find your purpose in life. Love does the task no matter what the job. And number three, love, uh, sorry, love pays a price no matter what the cost. See, in this conversation that Jesus is having with Peter, He takes the conversation to a whole other level. It starts with, do you love me? Then it goes to, will you serve me? And then he starts talking about the death that he's going to experience. Loving, serving, dying. Can you see the progression? It starts with love, service, and then dying. See, every healthy relationship involves a death experience. You see, as a grown man, I never thought I would wear nail polish on my fingernails. I never, I never thought that would ever happen. But when you've got the cutest of cute daughters who want to paint your nails, it's amazing what dies in you and you let happen. And so I'm up here and my name is Tony and I have had my fingernails painted. And that's just one story of many, many death experiences in my life. <laughs> I died to having the toilet seat up when I got married. It was a death experience for me. They're just light-hearted ones. But there's lots that I've given up in order to serve others. Because every healthy relationship knows what it is to have a death experience. The Bible calls it you've got a dying to self. That's what the Bible calls it. You can't be a follower of Jesus and just do whatever you want to do whenever you want to do it because that's not a relationship. Every healthy relationship experiences death. John chapter 12 verse 24 says, Very truly I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. God wants to reproduce himself through you. And in order to reproduce himself through you, we've got to be prepared to die. Otherwise, it would just be about you. It would just be about you. 
And so when we come to church and the music's too loud or the music's too long or the music's too this or the preaching's too simple or, or it's too um, edumacated or whatever the case may be, and we're making it all about us and it dies with us. Instead of saying, you know what, I thank God that there are more people here. Amen. I think I shared this the other week, but when I'm with my kids in the car, we don't listen to my 80s music. I get to do that when I'm by myself. But when we're with my kids, I choose their music because I would rather be with them, enjoying them, experiencing the joy of what they like than just having them sit there quietly with their own earbuds in listening to their music while I listen to my music. After all, I'm the man. I paid for this guy. No, no, I would much rather take the hit because that's what maturity does. If you're 40 plus, then our choice of music should be, we should have said, oh, that's irrelevant now. In a church like this, when you, when you get to 40 and these new songs are being written, there's a good chance it's not going to be your style of music. But it should, we should have learned the lesson. It shouldn't be about us now. If we're still 40 and making all about us, we've done, there's something wrong. There's something wrong. There really is, you know. And so we've got to be prepared to lay down our lives. Salvation is free, but discipleship is costly. Come on, team, come up here. I know Kathy's out the back there waiting, waiting. Here's the thing. As Peter is being challenged with this, he's struggling because it's not easy. Because Jesus isn't talking to him about having his fingernails painted. He's not talking about the toilet seat. He's talking about his actual life. He's talking about him dying. Little wonder he's struggling here. Let's not vilify Peter. And Peter's response, get this, it was to drag someone else in with him. And when he's feeling the weight and the heat of that moment, he sees John, the disciple whom Jesus loved, and he goes, what about him? Have you ever done that? When the pressure's on you and you try and drag someone else in? How many of you have got a brother or sister, and your dad was getting stuck into you. And you have a brother, what about him? How many's done that? That's what's going on here. Peter, what about him? But here's the thing about death. It's very personal. And the reason that Jesus was not looking at John is because what Peter was, Jesus was saying to Peter had nothing to do with John. And this is why we've got to be really careful in these seasons where God's speaking to us about something in our life that we don't put it onto somebody else. Because death is a personal thing. God may be asking of you something that He never asked of you before and that He's not asking of anybody else. So He may be asking you right now to clean up your language. I don't want you swearing anymore. And it's not for us to say, well, well, well Steve swears and Chris swears and metaphorically speaking. <laughs> it's for us to listen to what Jesus is saying to us. Well, hang on, Jesus, I, I've been doing this for years and you've, you seem to let me get away with it. Why are you dealing with it now? Promotion time. What about some of you who have been smoking as a Christian for years and, and that's cool, but now God's getting on you and saying, you know what? There's young people watching I just want you to be a better example. I'm taking that. I want you to deal with that now. He said, hang on, I've been a Christian for 20 years and you've never touched that yet, but I am now. But I know lots of Christians who still smoke. Yeah, I know, but I'm talking to you. Yeah, yeah. See what we do? We try and drag others in to justify what we're doing. 
to justify not changing, to justify not growing. And this fast was for us to open ourselves up and get so close to Him that He could speak to us. We don't live in a one-size-fits-all world. God may be dealing with something in my life right now, and He is, that I haven't put on to you. And I think it's so funny, the religious moments that have come out during this fast, like, you're not allowed to have that. I said, who, why? Because you're on a Daniel fast. Who here actually spoke to Daniel? I mean, really. <laughs> we get food from the shopping mall, which Daniel never had. We put it in our fridge, which Daniel never had. In our Tupperware, which Daniel never had. We did so much Daniel hasn't done. We go, oh, we can't do this. You had oats. Oh my gosh, you had oats. You had rice. Are you kidding me? I can't believe it. And at that moment, God's saying, you're so religious. And it's that religiosity we want to die in us. Because we're so religious. We're so religious. We don't live in a one-size-fits-all world. Here's the answer. Keep your eyes on Jesus. When Jesus is talking to you and you want to look to John, just, you know, just... I really do feel the word of the Lord this morning is this, look at me, look at me. I feel like the Lord would say, look at me. Look at me. And that Kath and Kim accent, just look at me. Look at me. Just look at me. Because you see, this is a bit of a trait in Peter's life. This is not the only time we see Peter looking to someone else. After another great catch of fish, a supernatural catch of fish, Peter runs to Jesus, falls his feet and says, away from me, I'm a sinful man. And Jesus, are you kidding me? The only reason you can say that is because you're not looking at me, you're looking at yourself. And some of you are so wrapped in your own sin and guilt that you're not seeing Jesus. Take your eyes off yourself. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory. Let's look at the perfect one. The one who can redeem us and forgive us and heal us and save us. In that moment, Jesus is saying to Peter, look at me. So don't look to others. Stop looking at yourself. I'd like to say that's the only time Peter got it wrong, but no, there's another time. He gets out of the boat, starts walking on water. When he's looking at Jesus, he's walking on water. But when he takes his eyes off Jesus and starts looking at the waves or the circumstances or the situation, he begins to sink. And Jesus is there surfing and saying, look at me, look at me. Where are we looking at others? Where are we looking at ourselves? Where are we looking at circumstances and situations? I'd love to tell you that's the only time. But there's another time. And we read of it in Galatians chapter 2, where Paul has to address Peter to his face. Because Peter's theology had now changed. He'd taken his eyes off Jesus and he was looking at the religious people and fear crept in because he was looking at others. And he began to do things that he never used to do. And he had to be challenged by a friend in Paul to his face because he was afraid. Don't let others... Don't let yourself, don't let your circumstances or situations, don't let your fears or doubts rob you of what God has for you. 
Let's keep our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who through the joy set before Him, endured the cross, scorning its shame, so that you and I could have this incredible life to the full kind of life. This fast was about us taking our eyes off the circumstances and focusing on Him. My prayer is that we wouldn't stop looking at Him. And when we do like Peter did, we'd recognise it and make the adjustment. Because for all of Peter's shortcomings, we know he lived an incredible life for Jesus. He's one of the heroes of the faith. And he did die that death Jesus spoke about. But he'd come to such a place of closeness and maturity, he actually added a little twist on it for himself. When the time came for him to be crucified, tradition records that Peter requested to be crucified upside down. Peter had taken what Jesus said all those years earlier and saw it and raised it and said, not only am I going to die, but I'm not going to die in the same manner of Christ. I'm not worthy. Crucify me upside down. And tradition records that Peter was crucified upside down. This is a man who made many mistakes, who took his eyes off Jesus on numerous occasions, but was always able to make that shift. That's what this is about. It's not about we do it because we all do it. It's about making the shift back. Judas never made the shift back. He just kept going until he hung himself and died a premature, immature death. Peter was somehow always able to come back. And so if you're right now focusing on circumstances, your finances, the situation, maybe your job's in limbo, focus on Jesus. Maybe some of you are just afraid of the future. You're afraid of the unknown and fear's got a hold of you. Come on, get your eyes off that thing and focus on Jesus. Maybe some of you just got your eyes on yourself. You're so guilt-ridden with all your mistakes. Get your eyes off yourself. Come on, lift up your head. Lift up your head to the hills where your help comes from. Let's stand. Thank you for taking the time to listen. If you have any questions, please email us at admin at victorychurch.net.au. 